If I begin telling you a story like this, once upon a time in a very dark wood, you would know the kind of story I'm talking about, wouldn't you? It's a fairy story. It has a particular style to it. There'll be good people and bad people and things will happen. Unfortunately, we don't get the story behind this dramatic reading that we've just heard because we're not Jews brought up in the first century. But if we were, this story would begin in a way that resonated with so many bits of the way of being a Jew that people knew. It happened at Pentecost. This is the day traditionally celebrated when God gave the law to Moses, which in a sense established the people of Israel as, a, as, as they saw themselves as a separate people called by God. It was the day traditionally celebrated at the, the day that David, the great king of the golden age of Israel, was born and the day he died, celebrated on the same day. It's a kind of like Anzac Day and Australia Day sort of rolled into one but with much deeper resonance. And all the things that happen in this story would have had a real impact. The idea of tongues of fire. The idea that there was something that looked like tongues of fire, that, 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 they, that represents what's happening in the temple all the time. That, that God comes down and sets fire to the burnt offering at the temple. It's the presence of God. It's about the consecration of that special place. And the wind rep represents, for many people, the understanding of the beginning of everything. When the, uh, the first story in Genesis, the earth was formless and void and the Spirit swept across it like a wind. And the speaking in tongues story, the speaking in other languages that people, didn't, that it, that people understood but the speakers didn't necessarily know. It represents the story of the Tower of Babel right back into ancient history. This, this mythic story of people all coming together to build the tower to get to heaven because they were all one people, they all spoke one language and somehow it all got destroyed and they scattered across the earth and they all spoke different languages and could no longer communicate with each other. Here's a story where they are communicating with each other again. All of this would have resonated for people who were first hearing this or f when it was read out to them, as it would have been in little Christian communities all over the world after it was written. But there's some extraordinary things in it. One of them is that God comes to be present with the people, not in the temple, but everywhere. And Jesus himself didn't operate much with the temple. The temple was the presence of God. That was the holiest place in the whole of Judaism. That's where if you wanted to meet God, that's where you went. That's where you were required to go to meet God. But Jesus wandered around meeting people everywhere, all kinds of people. And when he did go to the temple, he got in trouble because he called them out for their practices. And here is this story telling us that the fire that's supposed to come down to animate the temple and to convince the people that's where God is present is coming down everywhere. All kinds of, all kinds of people. 120, if the story is to be believed. 120 people who were gathered present. God is present everywhere. I said last week that um, Julian of Norwich, the 14th century English mystic, said, not only are we made by God, but we're made of God. 
And this is the way Jesus seemed to operate his entire life. And here's this story being told again. And look, what happens? They speak the language that each person can understand, the language of home. We've got our friends here today and there's lots of other people who are part of this community for whom English is not a first language. And you know, on Fridays we do English language classes. And we have people whose language skills in English are really rudimentary. They've got just enough to kind of make the most basic things happen. But when you're learning a new language, you only learn the basics, don't you? You don't learn how to tell what's going on inside you. Because that takes a a level of subtlety, a level of nuance, different ways of using metaphors and ideas that doesn't come immediately when you're learning a new language. The times I've been in other countries, I've learned just enough to um, order food, and, and find the toilet and not only, not always getting those two right, which can be a bit embarrassing, but, um, you need a lot more than that in order to feel like you're present in a place. Here these people are hearing this story in their own language. Not only is God present everywhere, not just the temple, but present with all people, regardless of the languages they spoke. And if you were to map out the places that are mentioned in this story, they basically operate like a circle around Jerusalem. For many um, uh, people in the Middle Ages, Jerusalem was the centre of all the maps. A lot of Middle Ages maps and Middle English maps, they all have Jerusalem at the centre of the world. And if you do that, then the places they mention are everywhere, all around the known world, which is, of course, all around the Mediterranean. All of this is happening at the same time. But there's something even more profound that doesn't necessarily require us to know much about Jewish history or Jewish culture. And that's that Peter gets up and tells the story of what he sees as this moment being about, what it really means. And he quotes a prophet about a thousand years before who was central to the life of the people. And he quotes this prophet and he says, what that prophet was talking about is happening now. And what that prophet is saying is that God will do what God is doing now, will be present everywhere to all people. Not to special people, not to religious people, not to just Jews only, which would be quite shocking for some some of the Jews. There were elements of Judaism at the time that essentially understood God to be present only to the Jews and everyone else was outside of God's love and God's care. Not everyone, but lots of, there was a Jewish Uh, a number of Jewish sects that that understood that teaching. But Peter's understanding this is happening to everyone, everywhere, now. I will pour out my spirit, God says, through the prophet, and they shall prophesy. Well, what do prophets do? Well, there's three essential things that prophets always do. One is they speak and act for God. In the Old Testament, the idea is if the prophet spoke, the prophet was speaking the words of God. And the times when people listened to the prophet, the stories tell us things went well. But the times when they didn't, when they ignored the prophets, things went badly. It's very clear that they understood prophets to speak for God. So, Peter is saying, what's happening right now is we, all of us in this space, who have received this experience, we are speaking and acting for God goes back to Julian of Norwich. We're made not just by God, but of God. We're intimately connected. 
And the prophets over and over again reminded the people of the call to justice. That we couldn't live as decent human beings unless we all live as decent human beings. And each time the community segregated and had the those on the inside and those on the outside and there were lots of different ways of slicing that, whenever that happened, the prophets would say, we are heading for destruction. We cannot be a community unless we're a true community. They would co- constantly call out for justice. And they would call people to a higher sense of what it meant to be human. And our churches do that today. Um, The churches are again massing to try and get the the now new government, uh, uh, our federal government, to pay attention to the plight of people we've incarcerated in refugee camps, in Manus Island and in Nauru. And to say simply, we cannot be a decent human community unless we're all a decent human community. And there's a, a, a project being worked on at the moment to try and convince the government that they mu- there's something must be done about this. We can't just let it go. This is the role of prophets. Telling the truth. The Spirit will come and the Spirit will lead us into truth. And truth is something you don't always want to face. But that's the call all the time, is to tell the truth. And this is not a command. This is not saying, this is the thing you should do. Are you telling the truth? No, well you should be. Are you speaking truth to power in in order to make a just work? No, well you should be. It's not so much a command as this will naturally occur. A little bit like the poem we read. We don't have to make the planets move. We don't have to hit our chest with a little hammer. It happens. It's part of what it means to be human, what it means to be a creature in the universe. So the call is not to you what you must do, but if you pay attention, this will naturally arise out of you. This is the work that God is doing everywhere in the universe. You see it in, in little things. When you get kids um, playing together, if something isn't fair, they know it isn't fair. No one has to teach them what fairness is. There's a sense of injustice that rises up, particularly if they're the one being treated badly, but sometimes also if other people are being treated badly. There's a sense of of what fairness and justice looks like. It kind of grows up innate within us. And it can be squashed, but never killed off. We know it to be true. So when we read of injustice, (coughs) particularly perpetrated by our own government, a sense of injustice rises within us because that's innate in us. All we can do is kill off that experience. We can't manufacture it. In other words, it's part of being human. We can dampen it down. The whole history of the Second World War is a history of whole groups of people, particularly the the German people at the time and the Japanese people at the time, managing to kill off that part of themselves that meant we should treat everybody with decency in order to propagate only the, the future of their own community. So we've seen it. That's that's the big blight in our recent history. But it's present everywhere. But if we let it alone, it grows up naturally. It's the moment that we realise, as in the story of the the book of Acts, in this story we read today, it grows up sort of out of us. These tongues of fire come and then all of a sudden we're speaking in languages that matter to people 
It comes naturally out of us. It's the centre of what it means to be human, just sort of bursts out. It's a different thing than telling people what to do. It's a living it out. And then there's one more thing if, that, that I reckon is worth paying attention to. If we are made not only in the image of God, but made of God, and this story is the story of the God coming out of us, the Godness of, the, of us living out in the world, then there are things that God does that are really central. Because the most important thing we know about God is that God is creative, that the universe has been and is being created by God. From what we understand, the universe continues to expand and grow. The elements that make up our body continually move and change. Our organs are growing and changing. Our skin um, is renewed over and over and over again every few months. Everything is growing and changing. That is the work of God, as we understand, is the creative work. So maybe we're called to be creators too. To create like God creates. Of course, one of the things we're supposed to do is create community. We know how to destroy community, but we do know how to make it, paying attention to each other, honouring and respecting each other. So we build community when we can. That's creating something. We even know that we can create changes in ourselves. The, the idea of our brains, you know the old story that you, can only, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Well, first of all, you're not a dog, so that's the first thing to be said. The second thing is it's rubbish. We now know, with, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you can teach your brain to do new things at every age. You can tr- develop new neural pathways. They're working with people who've had strokes and realise that a part of their brain no longer is able to function. It, it's somehow still, in some strokes, it seems to still be in, opera, in operation, but you, nothing else can get to it, so you can't make connections. So the brain figures out a way of going around it, like a roadblock. Your brain can do that and is doing that all the time. You can create new ways of thinking. What an extraordinary idea that if we're made in the image of God and made of God, we can create new ways of being community and new ways of thinking. We can be new people, whether we're 8 or 80. Even though there's a bit of us telling us, this guy's talking rubbish, that's not true. I've been like this all my life. Yes, there's a whole part of us wanting to tell us that. But I think this story wants to tell us. Renewal comes and it bursts out of us and all we can do is block it. And if we don't block it, we can be creative like God is. We can create. We can make new community. We can be prophetic to each other, telling each other truths the truth of God. So be it.